All right, y'all doing all right? All right. You know, I feel obligated to say, don't judge my skill as a counselor by the condition of your pastor. <laughs> and y'all know now in counseling, you know how the deal is. There's this law of confidentiality and all. But, but here's, I got to be honest with you. You bring me a little cash, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. <laughs> But, but listen now, I promise you, you're going to leave scared. <laughs> how many of you know you get inside some people's heads, you're like, well, how do I find a way out of here? Is there, <laughs> is there an exit? <laughs> no, I love what I get to do. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know about you guys, but you ever, I would probably say five-ish times in my life, definitely not more than 10, I've met someone and you just have this sense like, you leave the encounter thinking, I think, I think there's a God thing going on here. And uh, I definitely felt that with Josh. It was a little creepy, you know, him, him stalking me like he did. You know, I was, you know, we have security, of course, and I was, he, he, he's, he's like, whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> trying to call security over. But uh, no, not really. But um, I am, I'm honored. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit older, in case you can't tell. And uh, so you're supposed to say, no, not you. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> but uh, I love, I love that these younger guys seem to still like having me around, us around, the younger couples. And uh, we just want to help leaders get healthy, stay healthy. And uh, how, how many of you are tired of seeing leaders get in trouble, man? I mean, Jesus, help us, man. And uh, that's what we kind of do with our life and time now. All right, Pastor already told you, you know, a little bit. I've been in ministry. My wife and I have been married 46 years. How about that? And I got saved one month after we got married. There's a story to that, and, you know, another time we could maybe get into that story. But I was just a bit of a rascal and, and uh, loved this wonderful lady and knew that if I didn't get help from beyond myself, I, there's no way I could be a decent husband to her. And uh, so I met Jesus. I, uh, you know, I was raised American heathen, didn't go to church, didn't have any church background, got gloriously saved. People that were praying for me to get saved, after I got saved, they said, you got too saved. And uh, I mean, I just, I don't know about you guys, but I was smitten, man. When I met Jesus, I was just smitten. I mean, I found, I mean, I'd been doing drugs and sex and rock and roll, the 70s, I did it all. And I found, wow. I found something that just, I was done. So 46 years later, walking with God, over 40 in ministry. And um, I just love, I, number one, I love God. But you know what else? I like God. Like I remember I was counseling this guy one time and he came back, our first session, he came back our second session and he looked different. And I was like, hmm, what's going on here? And I said, dude, you know, we got small talk out of the way. And I said, dude, what's up? And he said, you said something last week that I've never heard before. And it just rocked my world. He'd been a Christian his whole life. And I was like, gosh, what in the world did I say? <laughs> and, uh, and all I said was that God was the nicest person I'd ever met. Amen. And that just freaked him out. His Christianity didn't, that didn't fit. You know what I'm saying? And you know what I have the privilege of doing? I, uh, I've been counseling for 40 years. One time I was getting ready to do something somewhere teaching, 
and I figured it up that I've done about 13,000 hours of counseling. I mean, I've worked eyeball to eyeball with individuals, marriages, families, kids, dogs, cats, birds, you know. And I've seen, every time I say I've seen it all, God like must get a kick out of that. And the next week I'm like, okay, that's a, that's a new one. How many of you know God's got a sense of humor? It's almost a mean one occasionally. But um, you know what I've had the privilege? I was doing this one counseling session one time. And uh, when I first got my master's and I was a professional counselor, I was servicing about five churches. And I'd go, because most pastors don't like counseling. And to be honest with you, most pastors shouldn't be counseling because they're just not, they're not wired for it. And I can't do this. But uh, I was doing my counseling at this one church, and uh, the lady that coordinated things for me told me as I was coming in, she said, uh, hey, your last appointment is an evangelistic appointment. And I knew what that meant. What it meant was probably a family member, unsaved and unchurched, that, you know, needs help. So I, you know, I didn't think about it anymore. I get through my day, and uh, I get to that last appointment. You know, this is six, seven hours of counseling. And, uh, and I'm done, man. I'm just like fried. And I walk out of my little room out to the foyer to meet the next person. And I don't mean this unkindly, but in every respect, this person was unattractive. And what I mean is she, she had literal physical deformities and she was just foul, angry and mean and I got back in the little office I worked in, and I mean, she's dropping the F-bomb. She's like, I'm not, I mean, just dumping this, this just, you know what I mean when I say that the room filled with this awful energy. And I just sat there, and I kind of like, the lady that did my stuff for me was named Diane. And I said, Diane, I'm going to kill you, girl. How dare you do this to me? And, uh, and as I'm saying that, I heard a whisper. And I heard this little whisper say, Chipper. Would you love her for me? And I kind of like, what? <laughs> and, I, and I heard this little whisper, Chipper, I've been looking all her life for someone that would show, me, show her my love. Would you do that for me? And I sat up and I said, I'd be honored to, sir. Now, here's the deal. That story's not about me. Do you realize the God of heaven and earth that created everything that is had been looking high and low to find someone that would show her how much he loves her? Isn't that amazing? I, I like God. I like the way he loves people. And you know what? I've never met a person he doesn't love. Never. I've never met a person God doesn't love. Never. And you know what? You haven't either. You haven't either. And you're never going to. Amen? You good? All right. I'm going to talk to you about my favorite subject. Not myself. That's my second favorite. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, Y'all are going to get me goofy here. I'm going to talk to you about, if you ask me, what's the most important thing you've learned 46 years with God, over 40 in ministry, what's the most important thing you've learned? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this really cool thing that's affected every area of my life. Now, when I was putting this all together, 
I, I got two, two titles that I was playing with. And one of them is got the phrase secret sauce in it. How many of you have a family recipe that's like a secret sauce? Talk to me. Who's got a secret sauce for something? Raise your hand if you got one. Okay, back there. What's it for? What is it? Pasta. Come on. I'll be here till tomorrow. What else? Who's got some more? Secret sauce. What's that? Thanksgiving gravy. Let's see. What do you get a month? All right. I saw another hand somewhere. What was it? Secret sauce. What do you got? I heard one in the first service. I didn't even know what it was. Is there a hand somewhere? Where? Right there. What is it? What? Franks and beans? Oh, rice and beans. I thought you were making fun of that movie, Franks and beans. What is that movie? I can't remember. <laughs> it's probably one you shouldn't talk about in church. <laughs> rice and beans. Good idea. All right, what we're going to talk about is the secret sauce for better relationships and less stress. How many of you would like better relationships? How many of you would like less stress? All right, say better relationship, less stress. All right, what if I guaranteed you, what if I guaranteed you that if you'll listen and apply, say apply, if you'll listen and apply, you guys are awesome. Uh, you, know, you know why we do that? We do that because we love conversations. We, you know, it's not, I mean, we're probably a little insecure too, but it's not why we do it. We do it because we want to know you're here. And I mean, you know, if, if you're not, let's just go home. We had worship, but I want you to leave here with something. So how many of you like better relationship, less stress? I virtually guarantee you, if you listen and apply what we're going to talk about, I guarantee you better relationships and less stress. Now, qualify my guarantee. Better is not perfect, and less is not zero. I promise you, if you'll listen and apply, you will have, do this for me, do this for me, you'll have better relationships and less stress. I promise you, all right? So we're going to roll into that a little bit. Here's a little weird paragraph I'm going to read, and you'll see why I'm reading it. What we're going to talk about today fits what I'm about to read. It's the number one practical, life-changing, cycle-breaking, soul-satisfying, relationship-enriching, destiny-achieving, thirst-quenching, addiction-defeating, peace-producing, growth-multiplying, career-boosting, confidence-compounding thing I've learned and practiced since becoming a Christian 46 years ago. It is a cool cool thing. It's affected every area of my life. It's affected my relationship with God incredibly. It's affected my relationship with the person I spend the most time with. Who's that? Myself. <laughs> Am I right? I don't know about you, but I'm the only person I can't get away from. <laughs> You're going to find that's important. It's affected every relationship I have with God, myself, my wife, my kids, my friends. It's affected my emotional health and cycles. How many of you have some emotional cycles? How many of you? Are, rrr, rrr. Now, here's the deal. You're not supposed to be a flat line. If you're a flat line, you have issues because you're not supposed to be. It affected my spiritual growth and healing. I mean, it affected how the word of God penetrates and prospers me. 
It affected my career and calling. I spend a lot of my time with leaders who built churches hundreds of times bigger than I ever did. And they're, they're able to do things I'm incapable of doing. And they used to be the people that intimidated me the most. Because of my father issues, I always felt insecure and inferior around male authority figures, particularly type A driven, get her done. Because my dad would say, you're lazy, you'll never amount to anything. How many of you know it's not a good thing to say to your kid? <laughs> we might talk more about that later. We'll see. But it affected my career. It, th this thing we're going to talk about affected my income and the reach of my influence. Now, is this a financial seminar? No. But here's the deal. You're going to reproduce around you a world that reflects the one you see inside. And there's times when God does things inside of you that enable you to walk into what he has for you out here. And, and it's affected even the amount of money that I make. It's affected my experience of real freedom and lasting change. How many of you know Jesus came to set us free? You ever heard somebody get up and testify, I've been set free, I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. And three to six months later, number one, you can't find them. Number two, they're worse. Number three, you with me? Now, that doesn't mean they're horrible people, but it means there's something in the soup that's missing, and we've got to figure it out. And I believe what we're going to talk about today is part of what that might be. I entered into the joy of this, the consistency of what we're going to talk about, in my 40s. You don't have to wait that long. If you're older than that, jump in now. We can get this thing working. All right? All right. The second title, told you I had two titles. I was playing with. The second one is one thing I do every day. Say one thing. One thing. Every, day. every day. How many things? One. How often? Every day. How many things? One. How often? Every day. All right, please, please. You're going to leave here with the challenge to do one thing every day. Say it again. One thing. One thing. How often? Every day. Every day. All right. Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that, love that phrase, I press on so that. In other words, I press on with purpose so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of. How many of you want to get what you were gotten for? You follow me? Jesus got stuff for you. I want to get it. You want to hear a cool prayer? Cool prayer. Pray it every day. God, I don't want anything you don't want me to have. Right? Now, that's kind of a religious -y prayer. Oh, God, I don't want anything you don't want me to have. But here's what sweetens it. God, I don't want anything you don't want me to have. But I want everything you want me to have. Say this with me. God. I don't want anything you don't want me to have, but I want everything you want me to have. Now, do you mean it? If you'll go after what God has for you, your life will never be the same. Never be the same. You know, people say, oh, there are going to be tears in heaven. I don't know. But if there are tears in heaven, I know one thing there'll be tears over. And it's going to be how much we left on the table. 
Because I believe Jesus died to bring you life and that life more abundantly. And I believe one of the things we're going to regret when we get over there is what we left over here that could have been ours. I want everything God has for me. Now, here's the deal. I don't think I'll get it all. Why? Because it's too much. It's too much. But you know what? I'm going to get more than you. I don't really mean that. I meant that to tease you. I dare you. Go after yours. Go after yours. Say yes if you're here. Go after it. Go after the joy he wants for you. Go after the health he wants for you. Go after the love he wants for you. Go after it, man. All right. Brethren, verse 13, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Don't you love the word yet? You put yet on the end of most sentences and it just brings faith. You know, God, I hadn't found that job. You know, God, I haven't made this much money. You know, God, I don't feel well. You see what I'm saying? It leaves the door open that this ain't finished. I love that word. But one thing I do, say that. How many things are you going to do after you leave today? In addition to whatever else you're doing, I'm going to give you one thing. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All right, hold it. Time out. There's a goal and there's a prize. There's a goal and there's a prize. What is it? What is the goal and the prize? And do we have to wait to heaven to get it? You know, I told you I was raised American heathen. And when I came into Christianity, I came into Christianity in kind of charismatic circles, word of faith, actually. And, you know, we were just taught God loves us, God's good, God's covenant, God's blah, blah, blah. If he said it, he meant it, that kind of thing. And, I, I, you know, you get around some Christians, oh, brother, brother, that, that, God meant that for over yonder. Here's the deal, guys. I, I believe there's a whole lot waiting for us here. He sets a table before me where? He sets a table before me where? In the presence of my enemies. You know why I love that? I'm sitting here eating the blessings of God, and the devil's right there watching. He used to get me to do his dirty work all the time. Now I'm eating the blessings of God, loving one woman, enjoying this amazing gift of marriage he's given me, and he's sitting there watching. I'm thinking, ooh. You with me? He's a turkey. All right, what's the goal? What's the prize? And do we have to wait till heaven to get it? Wouldn't it be great if your number one goal, number one, the number one goal above any other goal you have, the number one goal in your life, aligned with your number one need and his number one intention? What if my greatest goal aligned with my greatest need and his greatest intention? What if they were in perfect... In other words, when I went after one, I went after all three at the same time. And I believe it is. Now, to get us there, we're going to look at a scripture. I need a handful of men. A group saying over here, a group saying over here. Just come up here, guys. If you don't, I'm going to pick you out. Some of you guys come up here. Don't make me pick you out. Some guys come up here, stand over here and over here. You know, three, four, five, I don't care. That's plenty over here. One or two more over here. Now, what I need is 
Get, get in a little circle like you're conspiring to do something. And, and I need you to look mad. Like fold your arms and look kind of nasty. Look like you're planning something you ought not be doing. And somebody's going to get hurt. All right? Now, what did I just do? I believe I just set up what a room that Jesus was in looked like and felt like. Matthew chapter 22, if you want to look there, it'll be on the screen. You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they were always scheming to get Jesus in trouble. They just didn't like him because he was presenting a version of God, a version of walking with God that was so different from what they were. So the Sadducees, I can't remember which is which, but the Sadducees or the Pharisees, one, had already tried to trap him, and it didn't work. So this other group of lawyers said, all right, we'll trip him up with this. So I want you to get it now. You got a group of Sadducees over here. You got a group of Pharisees over here. Now, don't miss this. The rest of the room is filled with hungry, hurting people. Sadducees, Pharisees, and a room full of hungry, hurting people. And I believe Jesus stood as close as he could to the hungry, hurting people to, to just by his body language make the statement, I am not with you, and I'm not with you. Yeah. Now, feel that. You ever do this with a scripture? Just kind of put yourself in it and close your eyes like, what did the room look like? What did it feel like? What was Jesus' body language? So they come to him, and here's what they say. Teacher, now they didn't say this because they were cherishing his wisdom. They said this because they want him to mess up. Teacher, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, I believe what they were saying is, is what's the biggest issue on the heart of God? What's the most important issue on the heart of God? And these guys are all just... And I believe he, he ignored them and he was making eye contact with you. I think he was saying, I'm not with them, I'm with you. And here's what he said. What's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? In one word, what did he answer? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and great commandment. A second. Now, that was the, help me again, Shema or something like that. It was something Jewish people said all the time. I mean, it was sacred. So he said that, and they're probably like, Okay, and then without a breath, he says, and here's one equally important. That had to tick these guys off. How dare you raise something up to be equal with this? And what he said was, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I like to even take it a little further. What if he called one of you up right in front of these guys? And said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Wouldn't that be cool? These folks weren't happy when they got in the room. And they definitely weren't happy now. You guys can go ahead and sit down. Thank you, though. A couple of them are pretty good at looking mean, aren't they? <laughs> so what's God's number one intention? Love, right? So a few years ago... Uh, church up in Chicago, uh, Willow Creek, did a study on discipleship. They just weren't satisfied with the results they were getting. So they did this pretty expensive study across all socioeconomic 
strata. And uh, they came up with this conclusion, and they wrote it in this little book called Reveal. And uh, I don't normally read a lot of that because I'm not leading a church anymore, but I felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me to read it. And I'll never forget, it was page 74, 76. The only reason I remember is because as soon as I read it, I knew that's why God wanted me to read it. And here's what they did. They, they, they did all this studying about how can we figure out what's broken in our discipling process. And they said, based on these verses, Matthew 22, they said, we've made discipleship too complicated. We've just made it all about this and doing this and doing that. And they said, we need, to, we need to simplify it. And what they said was, we need to boil discipleship down to two things. We need to build people that do two things. And their conclusion was, love God and love others. Love God, love others. Everybody in this room has been taught that, probably one shape or another. Here's the problem. It's not what Jesus said. It's not what he said. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. He didn't say love God and then love others. He said love God. Learn how to love yourself, and then love others the way you've learned to love yourself. Here's my deal, guys. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's one scripture we all do automatically. We love other people the way we love ourselves. How many of you know your next thought ought to be, Houston, we have a problem? Do y'all realize the hardest person you're ever going to have to learn to love is the one sitting in your chair? The hardest person you're ever going to have to learn to love is the one sitting in your chair. I told you at the front end that one of the titles I played was his secret sauce. I believe the secret sauce missing in most people's Christianity is love God, love neighbor as yourself. How many of you want to love what God loves? How many of you want to hate what he hates? Value what he values? You with me? Well, can I give you a little secret? He loves you. You listening? He loves you. How much does he love you? Enough to come die for you. He loves you. Oh, well, he's going to love me when I this and if, when, and because. He's going to love me when I get my act together. Can I give you all a little secret? You ain't ever going to get your act together. <laughs> How many have sinned in the last few days? Colleen, raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> we don't let her hold a microphone. How many have sinned in the last few days? Raise your hand. I don't, if you don't raise your hand, I'm going to call on you. Do you raise your hand? Yes, I do. All right. How many of you probably have a few more in you? How many have them planned? Yes. We got a hand. <laughs> How many of your sins did Jesus deal with? All. Intentional? Yes, sir. Unintentional? Yep. Planned? Yep. Accidental? Yep. How many sins did he cover? All. What in the world are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? One time I had a little vision of Jesus standing at the edge of heaven looking down, and here we were having church, and we were crawling on our bellies 
because we're such worms into the presence of God. And Jesus turned to the Father and said, Dad, what else can I do? I'm going to ask you again, how many of you want to love what he loves? Have you looked in the mirror today? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. All right. How many of you want to fulfill God's purpose? In other words, when we throw dirt on you, you want us to be able to say, this person did what God created them to do. Yes? All right. If you want to fulfill God's purpose, how many think you better answer the question, why did he create me? Yes or no? All right, so why? Usually when I ask this, I get thoughts like to worship him, serve him, bring others to him, blah, blah, blah. And here's the deal. Blah. Wrong answer. God, how many of you had kids so they'd mow the grass and do the dishes? There's always, there's always a smart, it's always a smart aleck in the room. It's usually, it's usually a dude though. <laughs> I want you to imagine the Trinity. Are we Trinitarians? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? So imagine the Trinity before anything else, before in the beginning, the Trinity. We don't know what it was like. We don't know what, we don't know if anything was there. Bottom line, before God flung all this into existence, you know, it talks about you being, Jesus being slain before the foundation of the world and all this kind of stuff. Before any of this existed, what in the world compelled him to do this? What in the world was he thinking? How many of you agree he better have a good reason? I mean, this is a pretty jacked up place and people experiencing a lot of nasty stuff. He better have a good reason. The only reason that makes sense to me I can't think of any other reason that makes sense. What's the one thing he needed? He didn't need adventure, blah, blah, blah. He was full of what? Made of what? Love. What did he need? Someone to love. Why did he create you? See, I hear it. To love him. No. 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 Warren Buffett doesn't ask you to lunch so you'll buy his lunch. Are you with me? God doesn't need you to love him. What he needs from you is for you to learn how to let him love you. How many of you want to bring God joy? Let him hold you in his lap. Let him tell you how wonderful you are. Yeah, but I'm not. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. I've never met a human being that wasn't wonderful, full of wonder. Now, we're jacked up. But how many of you, under, how many of you can understand this? God knows why you're jacked up. How many of you got to pick your family? <laughs> Guess what? Whatever version of jacked up you are, you didn't get to pick it. Did y'all understand what I just said? Here's the deal, guys. God put you here. God put you in this nasty, difficult, challenging place. And he put you here so that you can make a choice to allow him 
to have a relationship with you. I'm going to ask you again, how many of you want to fulfill God's purpose? Oh, I want to do this. I want to go here and be this. I want to stop. The number one thing God created you for is so that he could love you, so that he could wrap his arms around you, so that he could tell you every day. Say every day. John chapter 17 says this, I and them, you and me, Jesus talking, that they may be perfected in unity so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. Now, this is Jesus talking. Jesus saying, I want the whole world to know that you've loved them the same way you love me. John 13, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, how? even as I, Jesus, have loved you. Now, here's the deal. If you're going to love others the way he's loved you, what did you better learn? How to let him love you. I don't know. I wish I could, anything I could do, anything I could do to convince you tomorrow morning when you wake up, today when you walk out of here, the greatest gift you could give to God is the humility to say, Father, I'm a wreck. But I believe you love me. I believe you want to walk with me. I believe you want to be my dad. I believe you want to help me every day. I believe you want to show affection to me. When Jesus was baptized, he said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what he communicated? Three things. Identity, my son. Affection, in whom I'm well pleased. No, no, I love my beloved. And then, in whom I'm well pleased. Approval. How many of you have been taught you're a joint heir with Jesus? What does that mean? Anything he's entitled to, I'm entitled to. Now, listen so carefully. Why? Because I deserve it. Thank you these five... 21, he who knew no sin became sin, whose mine and yours, so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. God paid an awesome price. Oh, you're preaching cheap grace. Ain't nothing cheap about it. It's really expensive, but you didn't pay it. How many of you want to let Jesus know how much you appreciate him? Well, let's fill the altar and cry and tell Jesus what losers we are. If you do, I'll kick you out of here. Get away from this altar if that's what you're bringing. Come up here. If you, I don't, this is not an altar call. If you want to appreciate Jesus for what he did, then get what he paid for. And you know what he paid for? I wish I could take every one of you and just look you in the eye. What he paid for is your legal right to wake up every day as if you've never sinned. And to wake up every day and walk into the presence of God as if you're his favorite kid. Now here's the problem. I'm actually his favorite. 
But what would it take for you to practice? Let me give you three steps and we're done. I know I'm going a little bit over. Let me give you three steps. Y'all here? You get anything out of this? John 7, Jesus said, the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone's thirsty, thirst, Dallas Willard defined thirst as the pain or discomfort of unmet need. Is it wrong to have a need? No. No. What gets us in trouble is going to the wrong source. Every troubling cycle you are caught in right this second is right need, wrong source. Everything you struggle with is looking for a right need in the wrong place. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and what? How many of you could probably take a top off a bottle and drink it? Why do you use that metaphor? Because he wanted you to know how easy it's supposed to be. I love this statement. Jesus did it hard so we could do it easy. Now, life's hard, but relating to God's not supposed to be. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come and drink. What's going to happen? Then out of your belly. How'd you like to learn to take everything you need with you everywhere you go? All right, three steps. Number one, learn to look to God first and most. Say first and most. Learn to look to God first and most for everything you need. Now, first and most is an order and priority. Order and priority. Doesn't mean you don't need other things. Doesn't mean you can't look to other things. But God's got to be first and most. Say it one more time. Learn to look to God first and most for everything you need. How many of you need love? Learn to look to God first and most. Number two, identify and deal with your idols. Identify and deal with your idols. My definition of an idol is any person or thing we run to or rely on to meet a need only God can meet. Most people think an idol is a little fat Buddha. If you really want to know the most troubling idols in your life, pull out your family photo album. Because what you wake up thinking is, gee, I wish my dad was proud. I wish my mom loved me. Wish my kids loved me. Wish my friends, my coworkers, my, 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 my. Nothing wrong with, listen now, wanting that. But if you learn to go to God first and most, you won't need that. I fired my wife. Fired my wife. I don't need you to meet my need for love anymore. I want you to love me. I don't need you to love me for me to feel loved. Why? I learned to go to God first and most. I fired my kids. I fired my friends. My goal is to go into every room I go into not needing anything the room holds. I don't need you to like me. I want you to like me. You feel the difference? I want you to like me. But I don't need you to like me because guess who likes me? God does. Number one, learn to look to God first and most for everything you need. Number two, identify and deal with your idols. Number three, practice. Say practice. practice. Receiving and resting in the Father's love every day. Practice receiving and resting in the Father's love every day. Every day. How do you do that? Just sit, get quiet, and just dare to God. 
that cranky old dude told me you love me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to let it in. I'm gonna try to let it in. What if you just dared to walk through your day and every once in a while you looked around and just said to yourself, God, thank you, you love me. I know I just messed up, but thank you that you love me. Here's the thing. How many of you think if you learned to receive and rest in his love, how many think you'd mess up less? Love you guys. But God loves you way more. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir, for loving each of us so much it's beyond understanding. And I pray that each of us would find a way that's unique to us, that fits us, to just practice receiving and resting in your love. And then just hide and watch how it slowly transforms us. Thank you, sir. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.